You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We're going to take a look at God's Word here shortly, but I want us to, to talk about it just briefly here in a minute without looking at it first, and then we'll go to God's Word and see what it has to say for us. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, for those of you that have been with us over the past month or so, and last week we were in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 7, looking at the concept, the topic of prayer, and what Jesus gives to us as far as instructions go in regards to praying to our good heavenly Father, right? It says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, ask and it'll be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will, you, will your heavenly Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so we, asked, we, we said last week, if we believe that God our Father is responsive, meaning that he hears our prayers, responds to our prayers, if he's good and wise, meaning that he filters our prayers through his good plan and then responds in good ways to the ways that, that we come asking for things, we should be greatly motivated to come to him strategically, persistently, expectantly, and submissively with our prayers. And so last week as we were working through this, we were talking about praying for the right things, right? That he's our, he's our heavenly father who gives us good gifts, but we need to understand the, the, the qualification of those good gifts, right? That he gives out of his desires for us. And we've seen here in the Sermon on the Mount what he desires for us, how he desires for us to live how he desires for us to carry out his commands. And we've talked about how we have to have the Holy Spirit to do that, right? And so we can look at what we're learning in the Sermon on the Mount and pray that God would grant us the ability to carry out those things. We come expectantly, expecting him to answer our prayers, but we also come submissively, knowing that we can trust his goodness over our own wisdom, right? That, that God doesn't give bad gifts, um, and he talks about our experience with our earthly fathers and how our earthly parents know how to give, give good gifts to us, right? And so if our earthly parents, who are evil, who are born into sin, right, who, who don't do the right thing every time, if they know how to give good gifts, how much more can we trust our Heavenly Father to give good things to us, right? And then we talked about how there's certain things that Jesus says we don't have because we haven't asked for them, because we haven't prayed for them. And so he elevates this status of prayer in our minds. And we talked last week about, um, as a church here, you know, we rely so much on our understanding of God's sovereignty to carry us through our daily lives, that God's in control, that God is good, that God is working things according to his plan, that he's always working his plan for the good of his children, right? And if we're not careful, we can step back and just be very passive in expecting God to carry out his plan. But Jesus invites us to participate in that plan, particularly in the area of prayer, that we pray to God, we expect God to answer those prayers, um, but we're submissive to his plan over how we think things should play out sometimes, right? And so that brings us to uh, verse 12 today, the golden rule. And before we take a look at this, I want you to just pause for a second and kind of think through. And if you're taking notes, you can just kind of jot something down right here. Think or write out what you think verse 12 says, what you think the golden rule is, okay? Just going to pause for a second, give you a chance to, to reflect and think, how well do you know 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, before we look at it. What is the golden rule? What does the golden rule say? Let's see who's feeling confident this morning, feeling like a biblical scholar and can give us a solid answer for what the golden rule is. Any thoughts on what Matthew 7, verse 12 says? All right, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Any other thoughts on what the golden rule is? You're like, no, because that's what it is, right? (laughs) Look, everybody else is probably going to be wrong too. Now everybody's like, well, I'm definitely not speaking up now because that's what I was going to say. Better to give than to receive. What is the golden rule? And just so we're clear, the golden rule is not written, right? It may appear in your little heading in your Bible, but it's not actually in the text, right? So that's a, that's a title that we give to it. We'll talk in a minute why we even call it that. Okay, let's open up our Bibles. If it makes you feel any better, I would have said the exact same thing, right? Uh, because for the most part, that's what Matthew chapter 7, verse 12 says in a nutshell. Um, but we're going to look more in depth. So we're only looking at one verse today, and it's been a while since we only looked at one verse, right? But I feel like the weightiness of this verse is something that demands all of our attention today, and so we're not going to muddy the waters by trying to combine it. Uh, We're certainly going to understand it in context of what Jesus has been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, but I think if we'll all open our ears and listen well to the Word today, we're all going to walk away understanding this passage in 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 a fresh way and maybe seeing things that we hadn't seen before that really have deep implications for how we're to live this verse out, okay? So Matthew chapter 7, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 12 says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets, okay? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets, Okay, we call this the golden rule. Why do we call it that? Well, one, you might would say that it's titled that because of the preciousness of this principle, right? Like it's, it's, a, it's a golden way to live. It's a golden motto to, to wrap our lives around, right? And there, there's some truth to that, right? It's a precious passage. It's, again, one of those passages that we've said in the Sermon on the Mount, lost people are very familiar with what Jesus says here. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, lost people can quote a lot of this. If we were to go out on the streets and ask people, what's the golden rule? we're going to get a lot of consistent answers for what we see in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, right? Um, There's another theory that that we call it the golden rule because one of the Roman emperors, uh, Alexander Severus, uh, inscribed this concept or inscribed this passage in gold in his throne room. But he was particularly prone to the, the truthfulness of it, Right? And so he inscribed it in his throne room in gold, and so it became the golden rule because it was something that he had inscribed in gold. The golden rule is a widely accepted and agreed-upon way of living in relationship to each other in this world. Christians would, would affirm this. Non-Christians would affirm this. Right, It's a widely accepted, agreed-upon. So in all of our disagreements, right, in all of our disagreements about who God is and and beliefs about theology, whether we're Christians or non-Christians, right? Like our concepts of God and religion, all the disagreements. You'd probably be hard-pressed to find somebody in your immediate context that would say, I don't agree with that principle. I don't agree that we should treat others the way that we want to be treated, right? Most of us hear that. Again, whether the Holy Spirit lives inside of us or not, most of us hear that principle, and we affirm it and say, yes, Yes, that's how society should function. We should do to others what we would want done to us. Now, 
for some, that can be used as ammunition, right? You can use it to benefit yourself, right? You can use that and throw it out to people and tell them that you want to be treated the way that they want to be treated and and put expectations on others, right? And kind of use that as ammunition. Hey, treat me the way that you want to be treated. I was thinking yesterday as I was hunting with some buddies of mine and I was thinking about our sermon today. I'm just sitting and, and just kind of meditating on Matthew 7, 12 and um, started thinking about the Christmas season, right? And, and you watch movies, and um, I don't know if you watch Hallmark movies. We watch Hallmark movies, Christmas movies, right? And one of the dominant themes that you hear in some of those movies is this concept of the spirit of Christmas, right? Like these aren't Christian movies. They're Christmas movies. Um, but you hear this concept of the spirit of Christmas. And so I, I texted the other guys that I was hunting with, and I was like, hey, what do you think people mean by the spirit of Christmas. You hear that concept a lot in like Hallmark movies. What, what do you think people mean by that? I didn't get one response to my question. All I got was responses of, you watch Hallmark movies, right? And so like the dialogue just spun downward about why I watch Hallmark movies, right? Um, so I reached out to some other people, right? And started to get some answers. Um, and there wasn't any consistency in it, right? People were kind of reaching and grasping, trying to figure out what does that mean, the spirit of Christmas? I think a lot of times it kind of flows from this concept of doing good to others, being generous to others, serving others, giving to others. Why not do it during the time of Christmas, right? It's almost a seasonal packaging of the golden rule. But again, we see that in the secular realm as much as we do in the Christian realm, right? It's this this concept that we agree upon. But why? Why do we agree upon it? Why is this not unique to Christianity, if it's something that Jesus is teaching? Why would somebody who doesn't follow Jesus embrace this concept? Well, one, I posted this on Facebook, and I thought Daniel Richardson, who's a church member here, had a, had a good thought. Part of it probably stems from the fact that God is very clear that he's written his law on our hearts, right? Not just Christians, but non-Christians alike, right? And so we have this concept of right and wrong. We have a concept of his law, right, without even reading scripture, There's some things that have been implanted in us, parts of us that have been created to know things about God. And I think this is one of those areas. One of the areas is that we understand that others should be treated in certain ways, that we should be treated in certain ways, right? Um, We use a, um, a, a curriculum at Trinity as part of our Bible curriculum. It's, it's a character ed curriculum. Um, that's put out by Tim Elmore. He used to work for John Maxwell. It's called Habitudes, right? It's, it's a character ed leadership curriculum, right? So different principles that should be lived out by people. And so we use it in our middle school. What's interesting is that they have a faith-based ber- version and a non-faith-based ber- version. It's the business side of things, right? I, I don't think I could ever run a Christian bookstore because I'd have to compromise too much to make any money, right? If I was selling things at a Christian bookstore, it would be very exclusive it would be very filtered, and I don't know how many people would come in and buy the stuff that I had there. They'd come in asking for other things, and I'm like, sorry, I don't carry that, and never will carry that, right? So the business side of, of Christian resources sometimes can be a difficult business, and so they sell this curriculum, and they have a faith-based version and a non-faith-based version, and people buy both, and they virtually say the same thing, right, except the faith-based version ties it to our understanding that these things flow from Scripture and flow from God, right? But there's no difficulty in selling the non-faith-based version to other schools and other organizations because everybody affirms these principles, 
right? And its principles similar to the golden rule. Things that are written on our heart, things that we know should be true, that should be carried out, right? And so the lost world agrees to this. The lost world affirms this. One of my former teachers who's now teaching in a public school in Florida commented to me on Facebook and said, my principal every morning in her announcements reads the golden rule to our students, right? I don't know if she's a Christian or not, but she doesn't have to be a Christian to think that that should be read to her students every day, right? Again, because the lost world affirms the golden rule as much as Christians do. Um, It can be found in most religions and societies throughout the ages. It's been packaged in different ways, sometimes negatively, sometimes positively. The negative side, and this was found at the time of Jesus and some of the rabbinical teachings. So the rabbis are teaching this concept, and they were pitching it in the negative sense. What is hateful for you, do not do to your fellow creatures, right? So it's kind of a reverse of what we see in 712. It's don't do what you don't want done to yourself, right? Which I think we would all agree to, right? You shouldn't do things to others that you don't want done to yourself, right? Don't steal, don't hit, don't hate, right? These are, these are all valid uh, things that we would affirm. The problem with the negative side only is that it allows you to withdraw, right? And, and, and be faithful to carry that piece out, right? So you could withdraw and be completely uh, non-existent with people and be faithful to the negative side of not being, uh, or not doing things that you don't want done to yourself. Jesus comes on the scene and elevates this concept from the positive side of things. And it brings it to a higher proactive level. It requires creativity and action and ongoing love. He comes on the scene and says, do to others what you would want done to yourself. The things that you would wish that others would do to you, do those things to others, right? So not only are we not to steal, not to hit, not to hate, we're to give to others. We're to appreciate others. We're to love others. We're to duplicate the quality and quantity that we desire others do to us. We all agree in theory with this idea, but we all struggle to carry it out, right? But is there a way for us to understand chapter 7, verse 12, from a Christian perspective that makes it unique to Jesus calling us to this and not a fortune cookie, right? Because this... This could be minimized to a fortune cookie slogan, right? And you may have even gotten this in a fortune cookie before, right? Wouldn't be far-fetched to think that you could crack open a fortune cookie and read, do to others what you want done to yourself, right? How, how, do, we, how do we see this through the lens of, of Christ and Scripture? I think the, the, the ways that we're set apart in carrying this out are tied to the why and the how, the why and the how. Let me ask you again, now that we've seen it, what's the golden rule? Anybody? <laughs> don't, don't be scared. We learn from our mistakes, right? What's, what's the golden rule? What parts were left out the first time we looked at it? All right, the, the last part was left out. But the first part was left out too, the word so. All right? We're going to see that the word so and the word or the phrase law and the prophets are crucial, crucial for us living this out in a God-honoring way 
and it not being a fortune cookie to us. The word so and the law and the prophets. Okay, I want you to see how those two concepts, those two ideas, the why and the how, are so important to us understanding this from a Christian perspective. If it's, if it's left out, if those two things are left out and it's just do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, it becomes a godless rule for good people. It becomes a godless rule, because God's not in that at all, right? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. There's nothing about Jesus there, nothing about God there, right? It's just, it's just how we should be. It's, it's, it's how good people should live, right? Those missing parts, though, elevate it to a God-centered rule for grace-filled people. Elevates it to a God-centered rule for grace-filled people. It's something that only Jesus' followers can carry out. The way that Jesus intended verse 12 to be lived out can only be carried out by people who follow Jesus. And I want to help you see that today. All right? Our summary sentence. If you trust your heavenly Father to meet all of your needs in good ways, then you can obediently live out the golden rule of doing the good to others that you desire to be done to you, whether you receive that same treatment or not. If you trust your heavenly Father to meet all of your needs in good ways, then you can obediently live out the golden rule of doing the good to others that you desire to be done to you, whether you receive that same treatment or not. For our kids, treat others in good ways because God treats us in good ways. Treat others in good ways because God treats us in good ways. Now, I hope you'll see there in that, in that summary sentence, and this is what we're unpacking the rest of our time together, is that our ability to carry out this golden rule starts with a, with a trust in our Heavenly Father. We're trusting His intentions. We're trusting His actions. We're trusting His plan towards us, that it's good, right? That He's a good Father to us. And when we have that foundation of trust, then we can obediently live out the golden rule, right? It's not a suggestion. It's not a, a possible way of living, right? The law and the prophets testify to this. So we do this obediently, and then we get to the meat of what the golden rule is, right? That's doing good to others that you desire to be done to you. But we're going to see that when all that's put together, we do it, whether that treatment ever comes back to us or not, all right? Trust your heavenly Father to meet all of your needs in good ways, then you can obediently live out the golden rule of doing the good to others that you desire to be done to you, whether you receive that same treatment or not. For our kids, trust others in good ways, or treat others in good ways because God treats us in good ways. Let's see number one here. The what. We're going to look at the what, the why, the how. All right, the what. Treat others like you wish to be treated. Treat others like you wish to be treated. Now, we go back to chapter 7, verse 12. I think that concept of wish is important because it implies something. The golden rule here in chapter 7, verse 12 is not simply to do to others what you desire for them to do to you. It's whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. I think that concept there implies something. One, 
that we're to think through and determine how you desire to be treated. If we, if we minimize it to simply do to others what you desire them to do for you, if we're not careful, that becomes just simply a reactive way of living, right? We find ourselves in a situation, we assess it and say, this is how I would want to be treated in this situation, so I'm going to treat this person in that way. I think Jesus elevates it and takes it further by telling us to back up before we're ever in situations and almost to create situations that we wish were created for us, right? What do you wish others would do for you, right? Make your Christmas wish list right there, right? Let's tie this into the the Christmas time, right? What's the wish list? Right? He says, whatever you wish others would do for you, do that to other people. Right? Not simply do to others what you'd have them to do for you when you find yourself in the middle of it. We should certainly do that. We should certainly be reactive in situations in ways that we would hope others would react to us. But I think he takes it to a different level and says, I want you to think through how do you wish people would treat you? And then go out and treat people that way, right? Would you like for somebody to cut your grass when you're gone on vacation? Yeah, that would be awesome, right? Well, then look for people who are going on vacation and offer to cut their grass for them, right? We can, we can minimize it and just be reactive. We find ourselves in situation day after day after day. We try to do what we want others to do for us. Or we can be creative, and imaginative and proactive in planning to treat people the way that we would desire to be treated. Right? Think through and determine how you desire to be treated. Carrying out the golden rule starts with you knowing how you want to be treated. So you get to be selfish a little bit here for a minute. Make your wish list. How do I wish other people would treat you? Realizing that whatever you put on that wish list, you are now obligating yourself to do to others. Right? The whatever is comprehensive. The way in which one wants to be treated should determine the way that one treats others. There's no limitations here. The way in which one wants to be treated should determine the way that one treats others. I took some time yesterday to just start making a list myself. Ways that I want to be treated by others, right? And and I'll just go ahead and tell you part of our application today is going to be to task you to do that, right? Ways that you want to be treated by others. I put down first, I want to be respected, valued, and appreciated. I want to be respected, valued, and appreciated. To kind of explain that, I want people to recognize my gifts, to utilize my gifts, and to thank me for using my gifts right? So I write that down. What does that now obligate me to do? Well, that obligates me to see everybody in my life through that lens, right? To respect, to value, and to appreciate those around me. As a leader, both within this church and within this school, right? At Trinity, I have an obligation to value, respect, and appreciate those that work for me, right? How do I want my boss to treat me? It's exactly how I should then turn around and treat those that work for me, right? So, so 
I've done this over the past year, two years. I think I've gotten more intentional about here's how I would want my boss to be interacting with me. Here's the things that I'd want my boss to do for me. And I'm trying to do that for those around me that I have control over, the ones that answer to me, the ones that I'm a supervisor for, right? I want to be respected, valued, and appreciated. So I need to give those type of things to those around me. Number two, I want to be given the benefit of the doubt when it comes to my motives and actions. I want to be given the benefit of the doubt when it comes to my motives and actions. Think about it. We just came out of a section where we're talking about judging and not judging, right? Man, I'm so quick to judge other people's motives and actions. If I'm not careful, I think the worst of people sometimes. And very rarely is the worst true, right? We've all had situations where people have thought the worst of us, and we're sitting back going, that wasn't my motive, that wasn't my intention, that is not anything close to what I was trying to be or do. But we tend sometimes to judge people in such a way where we think the worst of them. What I'm expressing as I, as I was thinking and pondering through this this week is I want to be I want to be given the benefit of the doubt. I want somebody to come and, and explore and question and investigate my motives and actions before they judge, which means I need to do that to others. Right? If I desire that myself, and I've got to give that to other people, I don't make prejudgments about what I think somebody's motive or intention was. I give them the benefit of the doubt. I go, I go investigate it a little bit. I go try to determine that before I make a judgment call. I want to be judged with my best interest in mind. The last thing that I put down is I want to be addressed personally with grace and forgiveness about issues with me versus having it discussed with others. I want to be addressed personally with grace and forgiveness when somebody has issues with me versus having those issues discussed with other people. Right? If somebody has an issue with me, I want them to come to me with that issue, not to gossip or to slander about me with others, not to criticize me to others, but to seek me out and to, to be seeking reconciliation, to come with grace and a desire for forgiveness. And if that's what I desire, how much more do I give that to other people around me? Right? When I have an issue with somebody, I don't, I don't gossip and slander about them. I'm, I'm, I'm tasked to then seek them out for reconciliation, to come with grace and forgiveness to that situation. Think through and determine how you desire to be treated and realize you are laying a foundation for then how you are to treat others. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 is a helpful passage that I want people to give to me, to, to relate to me, and so then, therefore, I should relate to others in this way too. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That means when somebody's loving somebody, like a 1 Corinthians 13 way, there's patience, there's forgiveness, right? There's a desire to cover and to forgive, to endure, to bear, right? I want that type of treatment. Therefore, I need to give that type of treatment, all right? Treat others the way you wish to be treated. Think through and determine how you desire to be treated. Number two, be intentional about treating everyone in those ways. Be intentional about treating everyone in your life 
in those ways. Everyone should be treated in these ways without discrimination. He doesn't limit the who here. This is to be done towards everybody in your life, particularly those who we might would say don't deserve it, right? Luke 6, verse 31. Luke chapter 6, verse 31 says, And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Right? We do these things without any expectation of being treated in the same way back. Therefore, we don't treat people this way because they've treated us this way. We treat people this way because it's how we want to be treated. It's how we wish to be treated. I put in my notes, we are to make reality for others what we wish was reality for us, even if it never is. Think about that. We are to make reality for others what we wish was reality for us, even if that never happens. That's what he is calling us to here. It doesn't say what others, whatever others have done for you, do also for them. It tells us to do for others whatever we wish others would do for us. The what here is that we treat others like you wish to be treated. It means that we have to wish a little bit, right? Not just reactively going about doing to others what we, wish would, what we want to be done to us, but what we wish would be done to us thinking through it in advance and making that a reality for others. Number two, the why. We do this to fulfill the law, not to be treated good. We do this to fulfill the law, not to be treated good. And this is where we get in the difference between the, the, the fortune cookie slogan here, right? Because everybody would affirm the first part. We should do this. We should do to others what we want done to us. Where we would start to vary is the Why? Because most of us, even as Christians, we're motivated to live out the golden rule because what's our hope? Is that people will do it back to us, right? If I do to others what I want them to do to me, maybe they will do it to me. That happens sometimes. Sometimes we do to others what we want done to us and it leads them to do those same things to us. But that's not the why that we're given here, right? Jesus doesn't say, do to others what you want them to do to you so that they will do those things to you. He says, do to others what you wish would be done to you. Why? Because you're then carrying out the law and the prophets. The goal of the golden rule is not to get people to treat us like we want to be treated. Man, we, we've got to get that. We've got to understand that this morning. The goal of the golden rule is not to get people to treat us like we want to be treated. The verse doesn't imply we will receive the same treatment back that we give. It doesn't say do this in order that it will be done to you. We're called to treat others in a certain way regardless of whether they reciprocate the treatment to us. Our treatment of them cannot be conditional of them giving us the same treatment back. We cannot control what others say about us or do to us, but we can control what we say about them and do to them. That's the only control we have over this passage, is that we can treat others the way that we wish they would treat us. We can't control whether they ever treat us that way or not. 
and we can't make our treatment of them conditional on them doing those things back to us. Jesus says in Luke, you do these things even to the people who don't deserve it. Why? Because your heavenly father treats ungrateful people that way too. He treats the evil and the ungrateful that way. He treated us that way, right? When we were enemies of his, he sent Christ to die for our sins. We can't, we can't make it conditional. And this is where the world would, would, would deviate from us because their expectation would be, if I've done this to you, you're supposed to do this back to me. As Christians, we do this, whether we ever get the treatment back to us or not, because the law and the prophets call us to it. Number two, the goal of the golden rule is to have us carry out the essence of God's law through the prophets. We love God with all that we have, with one of the primary ways of showing that love being how we treat and love others. Matthew chapter 22, verse 40. This this concept of the law and the prophets being summarized comes up again. Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We love God with all that we have, and one of the primary ways we show that love is how we treat and love others. The essence of the character of God required of his people in the Old Testament is packaged here for us in the golden rule. So we came out of the minor prophet study. I told you part of the reason we were coming here to the Sermon on the Mount was to see the New Testament side of living out the minor prophet messages. This is how God's image bearers are to treat one another. We saw so much about justice and love and treatment in the minor prophets. Jesus summarized it and says, you want to keep the law and the prophets? Do to others what you wish they would do to you. Now, we don't do this in a... uh, fully in every situation to every person, right? So lest we think, oh, if I do this, I earn my salvation. I think Paul clarifies for us in Romans chapter 3 that the law and the prophets aren't calling us to do this to earn God's grace. Look what Romans 3 verse 21 says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fail to carry out the golden rule properly. We don't do it fully to every person in every situation. Thanks be to God that Jesus comes to keep the law and the prophets for us, right? Because we are, verse 24, justified by his grace, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He goes on to say there's no boasting in the gospel, right? Nobody gets to boast about carrying out the golden rule because we all fall short of carrying it out. It points us to the gospel. As we come to the law and the prophets and we see how we're to treat others, what do we find ourselves doing? Not treating others this way like we should. Even in our best attempts, we fall short. But the law and the prophets bear witness to something else too, right? 
that someone has come to do this for us. Right, we sang of the hope that comes with Christ this morning. Right, he is our hope because we can't carry this out the ways that we should in every situation. But going back to this why piece, let me give you this quote. I think I said this, I'm not sure. I think, I think this, was, this was me writing this down. So um, that's why I don't have a, a person's name here. Our sense of accomplishment, I should see accomplishment. So see, it's definitely my quote because I misspelled the word, right? Our sense of accomplishment and fulfillment is found not in receiving the treatment we want from others, but in knowing that we have given the type of treatment that God desires and commands of his people, right? So at the end of the day, my fulfillment from the golden rule, I don't, I don't check the box and say success once I've enticed people to treat me the same way, Right? I treat people the way that I wish they would treat me and I find my fulfillment and my joy and my accomplishment in knowing that I've given them the type of treatment that God desired and commanded me to give them. That's living out the golden rule, not from the, co- the fortune cookie perspective, but from the Christian perspective. You may never treat me the way that I want you to treat me and I'm gonna keep treating you the way that I wish you would and find fulfillment in the know that I've given you the treatment that God desired for you to have. But what about the good that we desire to be done to us, right? Did we just miss out on that? Did we just not get that? Are we just like stuck in the mud? Like, hey, sorry for you, Christians. You treat everybody the way that you should be treated, but you're never gonna get treated that way. That's where the word so is so important. The how, how do we, how do we keep doing this? How do we carry this out, right? We trust God with the good we desire for us. Go back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. You guys have sat under biblical teaching enough, whether it was here or other places, to know how important every single word in God's word is, right? And from an English standpoint, we should know that the word so implies context, Right? The golden rule, you would think, would be a passage that you can just rip out and teach a sermon on just verse 12 and be fine. But you can't just teach verse 12. And the only way that I can teach just verse 12 today is because we are also referencing back to what we taught last week. Right? Because the so references verses 7 through 11. Right? So think back to what we learned last week. We can ask for the things that we need. We can expect God to give them to us. He only gives us good things. Right? He filters everything through his plan for what is good for his children. If we believe that, so do this to other people. Number one, we must believe and trust that God is our source of every good we desire, not other people around us. The so empowers us to carry out the golden rule. We can't live out the golden rule without experiencing the truth of verse 7 through 11 first. Right? We have to have this foundational trust that God is good to us, that God gives us good gifts, that God gives us all the good that we need. This deep confidence in our Father will give us all the good that we need allows us to not fight or worry about our good. We trust that it's taken care of through a different source not the people around us, right? So I don't treat you a certain way so that you'll be good to me. I treat you a certain way because God's called me to treat you that way. 
and he's helped me to understand how I'm supposed to treat you because I just simply think through, what would I wish you would do for me? What do I wish you would do for me? That's what I'm gonna do for you. And I know I've been obedient to Jesus now. And I know the things that I need to be done to me are gonna be done to me, not by you, but by my heavenly father. We must first understand that God will always do good to us. Therefore, we can devote ourselves to doing good for others. Number two, trusting him in this way frees us to carry out the golden rule, regardless of how others treat us. Trusting him in this way frees us to carry out the golden rule, regardless of how others treat us. If you have the assurance that your heavenly father meets all your real needs in good ways, you will have an inner freedom and impulse to live out the golden rule, regardless of whether others treat you in similar ways or not. I think that's me too again. If you have the assurance that your heavenly father meets all your real needs in good ways, you will have an inner freedom and impulse to live out the golden rule, regardless of whether others treat you in similar ways or not. This isn't you like trying this out. Like I'm not telling you to try this out this week. Treat others the way that you want to be treated and then see if in week two you get treated that way. I can't promise you that's going to happen. In fact, more than likely, it's not going to happen. What I can tell you is that your heavenly father is always going to be good to you. He's always going to give you all the good things that you need, which gives you the freedom now to treat others the way that he's commanded you to treat them, whether they treat you in good ways or not. Because he's your source of good treatment. These bookends of so and the law and the prophets, these, these two concepts that if we're not careful, we forget when we say, what's the golden rule? These bookends make God the first word and the final word of verse 12. Because God is good to you, be good to others. Going back to that greatest commandment, we're called to love God first before you can love your neighbor right, right? Love God first with all that you have so that you can then love your neighbor right. Same is true for the golden rule. Trust God first before you can treat others rightly. Let's look at the application for today. Number one, I want you to finalize a working list. You know what that implies? That your list isn't final, right? Work towards making a working list, right? Put pen to paper and begin to think about what do you desire in regards to the treatment of others towards you. Finalize a working list of ways that you desire to be treated by others. Make it a working list that you can keep going back and adding to. Right, so you find yourself in a situation where somebody doesn't treat you the way that you want to be treated, then go add that to your list. Hey, that needs to become a way that I start treating other people because I'm in a situation now where somebody's not treating me the way that I want to be treated. I should probably treat others that way, though. I need to put that on my list. Right, finalize a working list of ways that you desire to be treated by others. Number two, find ways to make those things a reality for others this week. Make a list of ways that you want to be treated. Make it your wish list right? Because the Bible says, whatever you wish others would do to you, do it to them. Find ways to make those things a reality for others this week. For our kids, look for ways to treat your siblings how you wish they would treat you this week. For our kids, how do you want your sibling to treat you? Seek to treat them this week that way. So 
This is a passage that a lot of non-Christians will affirm. Do good to others that you desire to be done to you. What makes it uniquely Christian is that the Christian lives this out because we have a foundational understanding that we can trust God for the good treatment towards us. The so part. We keep doing this regardless if we ever receive the treatment back or not because we're not in it to make people do it to us. We're in it because the law and the prophets call us to this. We're in it for the obedience piece. And when we fail in it, we run to the gospel because Jesus keeps this perfectly for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for a convicting passage today. Lord, I pray that we would walk away today understanding this passage better, understanding what you expect from us this week. God, I pray that we would be intentional in our planning to carry out these things that we desire to be done to us towards other people. Help us to make it a reality for others, even if it's never a reality for us. Lord, help us to put our trust in your goodness towards us so that when other people fail to be good to us, it doesn't affect our treatment towards them. God, we want to we treat others the way that we wish we were treated. God, help us to understand that our wishes come true with you that we are treated in these ways by you. God, I'm thankful that you love, respect, appreciate me in ways that, that I could never feel from other people. God, you've, you've done everything to show those things to me by sending your son to die for me. God, help me to find my satisfaction and my identity in you. God, I'm thankful that while others may not always give me the benefit of the doubt, you know my heart. You shine light into the darkness, and when you come back, all things will be brought to light. God, help me not to be so hung up on whether other people give me the benefit of the doubt. Help me to trust in the one who sees my heart. God, I thank you that you give me the grace and the forgiveness when I mess up, even if others don't faithfully give that to me. God, help me to find the the good things that I desire in you. And if I get it from others as well, I can be thankful for that. But God, help me to find my my gratefulness rooted in you. God, I pray that as we live out this week, we would find ways to serve others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.